you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. All right, we are in a series in the book of Acts, and so I don't know if you can rewind the clock a little bit to that moment maybe in your high school, college experience, been in any kind of setting, and it's like a review day, and you're like, yes, because I get to master all the stuff that I was not paying attention for previously, so want to just do a, it's just, I guess, me in the room, no, all the good students are out there, the naughty ones here, great, that's helpful, so let's just do a little review of the book of Acts, so Acts chapter one, here's what we find, we find that Judas is replaced by this guy, Matthias. So the work of the kingdom in and through the life of Jesus doesn't end in his death. But he's raised to life, and the disciples are to go about the work that was started in their conversations in the ministry of Jesus. It's carried forward, so even the grave can't stop the gracious hand of God. Like even death, like even when it feels like, no, this is probably the end, the credits are going to roll on this deal. It's the moment in the movie where you think it's over, but it has 37 more minutes. I just think the truth of the gospel, the truth of this book is that with God, there's always more. Especially in the moments when it feels done. Those are the kinds of moments we see the gracious hand of God show up in power. So Acts chapter 1, Judas is no longer following in the way of Jesus as a disciple. We know a lot of the story of what led to that. Matthias takes his place. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. So what's Pentecost? That's an amazing question. It's a party in Jerusalem where we're remembering just how powerfully God provides. So God provides in some surprising ways. God provides maybe not exactly when we want him to. And so in Acts chapter 2, all the people are gathered together in Jerusalem for the celebration of all of that. And the Holy Spirit comes in power. That's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3 Peter and John, we've been talking about this, are going to church. And they get interrupted. Ever been interrupted on your way to church? By the needs of somebody in your family or by traffic or I don't know. You got in your car and got two miles down the road and you forgot your phone. So you got to turn around. They're on their way to church and they're interrupted by this man who's sitting outside of the temple gate. So the temple in the ancient world, there's lots of doors, there's lots of ways in, and if you're this kind of person, you come through here. If you're that kind of person, you come through there. If you're this kind of person, this one's for all these different ways to get in. And there's a man who's sitting outside what's called the beautiful gates on the eastern side of the temple. And he is doing what he does every day. He's begging for mercy, not just from God, but from people 
around him? Do you know that when you see physical needs on planet Earth, it's likely that that person who has physical needs has been talking to somebody about those physical needs. And so he's asking for money. And Peter and John say to him, hey, silver and gold we do not have. But what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And I would imagine to his surprise, his legs work. He's able to get up and walk. And he walks into the temple, and then chapter 4, all the religious people are mad. Because this isn't the way that God's supposed to do it. We don't like this message. We don't like this whole resurrection idea. I don't like how you're stirring up the city. You know, some of us are going to be going to some Thanksgiving gatherings, and some of us who have really little kids what are uncles and aunties good for on planet earth but for stirring up the children in the basement can i tell you this is what the disciples do they're stirring things up in jerusalem and the religious people don't like it because there's a way that we're supposed to do this can i just encourage you to be a kind of person who stirs things up for the kingdom of god can I encourage you to do that on planet Earth in some ways that not that point to yourself, but point to him? I'm not sure if you've noticed, but our world stands in need of being shaken up according to the values of the kingdom of heaven. Because we've got some values on planet Earth that I believe the Lord Jesus would desire to take from us so that he could pour into our hearts and lives values of the kingdom of heaven. It's why he prays, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done where on earth as it is where in heaven. Let's be those kinds of people. So those are the first four chapters of Acts, so there you go, you're welcome. I need to talk to you about marching band. So 20 years ago, I was in the Lincoln High School marching band. I was the tenor saxophone section leader. Some of you may be surprised by that, but I have a clip. Can I show you a clip? Is that okay? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Can you show them? Oh, actually, no, we got to read this first. I lied. Thanks, Matt. Sorry. I know, I know, I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sorry. The suspense is going to kill you. Acts chapter 4. I got to stay on task. We find these words. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. And then Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it 
at the apostles' feet. And now, 2003 Lincoln High School Marching Band. See if you can find me. Do you find me? Uh, so the Dakota Dome, I need you to tell you about the Dakota Dome and the realities of the Dakota Dome. When you are playing with a group of people, you're playing in a band in that blessed place. The Dakota Dome is not just a place where you lose to the Jackrabbits. I'm just joking. The Dakota Dome is a place that echoes really intensely. And so if you're going to play a piece of music with other people, you actually can't listen to what the other person next to you is playing. Because you're going to lose the whole piece of music. What do you have to do? You have to pay attention to the drum major. You can't pay attention to what's going on around. You've got to have your eyes on the drum major because the drum major is going to tell you what the song is, hap what's happening now. If I listen to the people to my right and to my left, we're going to be all in trouble. We've got to have our eyes on the drum major. And I think one of the things that the book of Acts wants to warn us against is to not just play our own song. To not just like be on the field, but play whatever song we want to. I think it's, that's possible for us today. To say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm on the field. See him on the 40-yard line with my eight-pound saxophone around my neck. But I'm actually not going to play this song. I'm going to play a different kind of song. The writers of, the, of this book want us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And what Jesus is up to in the world and what he's asking us to do. And these are the early moments of the early church. So in Jerusalem, you need to know that it's a city of extremes. It's a city of extravagant wealth, and it's also a city of enormous poverty. So you had people who had everything that they ever needed, and even everything that they even wanted. And so if you owned land in the ancient world, you were a part of the extravagant wealth. If you were want of king, in King Herod's court, you had extravagant wealth. But then you had like everybody else. You need to know about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not a great place to be if you want to start a business. Why? Because it's really remote. This is not a commercial center in the ancient world. Why? It's not on a trade route. Like it's not by the water. It's a religious center. Well, what happens when you have a city that's not good for commerce? A couple of things happen. Unemployment rates are really high. So there's not a lot of jobs available. What happens when there's not a lot of jobs available? What does that do? That takes the cost of living and takes it from here 
to the heavens. And so what you had were a, a lot of people who didn't have jobs. So part of the experience in the ancient world is that there are all kinds of people who stood in need. A lot of people who were destitute. Lots of people who relied on other people for their daily needs. If you've ever been somewhere in life and you've seen a sign like this. And maybe it has a few sentences of a story, but it's a cry for help. When you're leaving some kind of mall, when you're exiting the interstate, this is what you would see time and time again in the ancient world. And it's probably good for us to know that Jesus was also part of the unemployment crew. That we find in Luke chapter 8, there's these two women, Joanna and Susanna. And they're actually part of a group of people who are giving money to Jesus. Helping him have a place to lay his head and food for the disciples. So this is the picture of the ancient world. Extravagant wealth and enormous poverty. And it's interesting what we're told about the early church. In verse 34, we're told that there were no needy people among them. Because from time to time, those who had wealth, they brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then the apostles distributed it to those who had Need. So part of what's happening in the early church is there's a growth in their unity, in being one in heart and in mind. And this goes all the way back in John chapter 17. Jesus prays to his father who's in heaven. And he prays a couple different things. This is helpful for us, I think. First of all, Jesus prays for himself. You ever pray for yourself? Prays for himself. And then he prays for his disciples. And he prays for the people that the disciples will come into contact with. Like what a great way to structure what we're praying for. Like to pray for ourselves, and to pray for other followers of Jesus and to pray for the world. Like people who would come into contact with these followers of Jesus. And his chief prayer is like, Father, make them one. As you and I are one. Like let the relationships that they have with each other reflect the relationship that we have. So in these early days of the church, there's this unity that springs up. Oh, like I own a field, I'll sell it, and I'm going to bring this to the disciples. Because why? Not because we're doing some kind of a campaign. Not because we got like a poster in the church with a little thermometer and we're going to try to fill. No, because there were needs. And their experience of Jesus drove them to be generous people and it unified them. So something I think that we need to say today about unity is that unity does not stand in opposition to holiness. Unity is powered by holiness. So today is not saying, well, I'm going to forsake holiness 
like being set apart for a special purpose so that we can be unified. No, today is saying that how do we get to unity? Like, like how does that become the defining feature of what it means to follow Jesus? What is that powered by? Is it powered by thinking the same thing in the same way about the same deal? Having the same opinion? No, it's powered not by sameness, but by holiness. Well, what's holiness? That's an amazing question. Let's ask Richard Foster what holiness is. Can we ask him? Okay, great. Let's do it. Richard, tell us. Holiness, he says, is loving unity with God. Holiness is loving unity with God. You know, like the moment in life, like with that person that you care about most and deepest, somebody in your family, a really close friend, and like you just get each other, and I know a lot of the time, maybe you don't. But like, think of the moments. It's just working. And there's this unit, like loving that moment. And I think he wants to ask us today, like, do we seek, do we love being unified with God? It is a growing, maturing, freely given conformity to the will and ways of God. And I love this, in holiness we become the persons we were created to be. So unity doesn't stand in opposition to holiness. We're not having to choose, do we choose unity or do we choose holiness? No, in building a life around holiness, what's the byproduct? Unity. That as we grow in our likeness into the people that we were created to be, isn't it beautiful, church, that unity happens when we have decided that holiness matters? That when we love unity with God and we're willing to live out his prayer on earth as it is in heaven, unity is something that comes to us. Something else we know about unity is that, you know, that if the church, the church will not grow in unity unless it can grow in maturity. So again, it's not getting everybody on the same page about everything. I know some of you are thinking today, oh, this is interesting. This is the day that the Vikings play the Bills, so you're preaching us about unity. Oh, cool, Pastor. The church will not grow in unity unless it is committed to growing up, to growing in maturity. And so holiness then is not how I receive God's love. So if I would be holier, if I would be more set apart, if I would get it right, then that becomes the place where I receive the love of God. Some of you have grown up with that message. That I'm unable to receive the love of God. Why? Because I don't deserve it. Like I got to work harder. I got to do more. And can I just tell you that 
Holiness is not how you receive the love of God, the blessing of God. It's how you reveal it. That when we have committed ourselves to loving the unity of God in his will and in his way, we get to be people who reveal the love of God to the world. So let's talk about holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 This is the oldest book in the New Testament. If you're ever on a Bible trivia show and they ask you, 1 Thessalonians, okay? Chapter 4, this is Paul. And he's writing, oh, shocking, to another city in the ancient world where there's extravagant wealth and enormous poverty. And he writes these words. And make it your ambition to lead... And all the introverts in the world said, amen. A quiet life. (sighs) You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Just as we told you, so why? Why would you do that? Why should we make it our ambition to lead a quiet life? Why should you mind your own business and work with your hands? Verse 12 is going to answer it for us. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Man, is that just like such a challenge in the church today? Not like our Sunday life would win the respect of outsiders. Could have said that. There's a word for that in Greek. But so that our daily life so that what happens tomorrow, so that what happens seven Tuesdays from now would win the respect of outsiders. Okay, let's do, uh, let's do 1 Peter chapter 2. I almost caught it. I dropped it, and then I almost caught it. Did you see that? That was going to be cool. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. We've heard this before, a lot of us, if you grew up around church. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this verse has an A and a B part. The first sentence is the A part. The second sentence is the B part. And when we read this in and around church, a lot of times we hear all like the chosen royal holy possession part. But then we stop reading. It's like we stopped the movie before it got to the other part. As a result, as a result of being chosen, as a result of being royal, as a result of being what? Holy. As a result of loving unity with God, Richard Foster says. As a result of knowing that you belong to God, you're his possession You can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What would happen in the church? What would happen in the lives of people if we would be committed to showing others the goodness of God? So that's the first part. The church is growing as one in heart and mind. And then there's these two little sentences at the end. Can I just tell you, this is the Bible principle. Always be careful with the little sentences at the end in the scriptures. They're always packed with a little power. 
Joseph a Levite from Cyprus. I'm about to band up as we close today. Whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas is this nickname for Joseph. So Joseph's a really, 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 really common name in the first century. So much so, if your name was Joseph, you needed a nickname. I was born in 1984, and can I tell you, a lot of parents on the back half of the 80s had an idea to name their kid David. I don't know if it was Hasselhoff or what was going on. But all through elementary school, David C, because there was David W and David M and David S. So he's Barnabas. And he's called the son of encouragement. Why is he called the son of encouragement? He's, he's going to have a major role in the book of Acts. This is like a little sentence now. But he's going to have a major role in the book of Acts. Because later there's going to be this guy named Saul and he's going to get involved in this whole church planting thing and the Jewish people aren't going to want him around and there's going to be a whole conflict around this. And Barnabas is going to be the one to kind of bridge the gap. But something amazing happens in the life of Joseph slash Barnabas is that God has been good to him. And it doesn't stop with his gratitude. That gratitude in Joseph's life leads to generosity. Like the fact that he has resources. He doesn't hold on to those, but he releases them. And I think the life of Barnabas is going to teach us two things. That there really are two postures for life on planet Earth. There's the posture of love, and there's the posture of fear. And there's this Australian poet that I really like. His name is Michael Lunig. And he wrote this poem. It just goes like this. There are two activities in life. Love and fear. There are two motives in life. Love fear. There are two procedures in life. Love and fear. There are two frameworks in life. Love and fear. There are two results in life. Love and fear. Love and fear. Love and fear. Can I tell you that takes a lot of love to pursue unity. Can I tell you that what is going to keep you from unity on planet Earth is fear. But what will push you toward unity in the power of the Spirit is love. And that unity will not stand in opposition to holiness, Holiness will power it. What's beautiful about that, because it just brings the question today, what if it's not about them? Not about their holiness. Not about their desire to love unity with God. What if it's about our holiness? 
What it's about our posture, our desire to love unity with God. So Invitation Church, like, do we love unity with God and his work and his ways? And how can we love it more at the very end of the gospel story? We meet this guy, Barabbas. And Jesus has been arrested. He's been beaten. He's going to be crucified. And the Romans and the Jews, they kind of had this tradition that in the springtime, what would happen is that they would release someone that they had arrested, set free, trade places with another prisoner. And so before Jesus is crucified, you know, Pilate brings Jesus out and there's a whole crowd And he asks them, he just says, what do you want? Do you want Jesus? I'll give him to you. Or do you want Barabbas? I'll give him to you. And what happens? The crowd gets riled up. And they begin to cry, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Barabbas, this guy who has sought to overthrow the Roman government, that's why he's arrested, is handed over to the people and they throw the Savior on the cross. And you might be asking yourself, what on earth does that have to do with the Dakota Dome? Can I tell you that in your life, you're going to feel a pressure to listen to those around you. To listen to what the crowd might be crying. In the book of Acts, the stuff in this book is pleading with you to look at Jesus. It's pleading with you to leave Barabbas to lock eyes with Jesus. To love unity with God and to break ties with the crowds that you find yourself in. Because I believe that that's what's in front of us today. Because we can forsake holiness so we can have unity, so we can join in what the crowd is yelling or we can fix our eyes on Jesus as the author of Hebrews says, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray that for myself. I pray it for you. I pray for us. Because we got a world who's got no idea how to be unified no idea at all and I think that we can be a part part of what it means to be God's possession it's not that God throws us in his pocket but that he wants to use us well here's something that I can use to teach the world about unity so I'm asking when you find yourself in the Dakota Dome where your eyes are where your heart is and 
what it might look like for us to lock eyes with Jesus. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you today for the opportunity that we have not to play our own song, but yours. God, I pray that this would be a church rooted in the love of God, desiring deeply to share and show the love of God with the world. A church that's marked by holiness, which becomes the engine for our unity, not that we think the same way about everything, about every topic, about everything that happens in the earth, but we've all decided to pursue Jesus and to leave everything else. To not exchange Jesus for all the different forms of Barabbas that spring up for us. But God, we need your help. We need your strength, we need your wisdom. We need your image so that our lives would reflect the truth about us and the truth about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more song together today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.